It's time to find out the stories behind the stories. Welcome to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective. Get ready for some amazing guests, along with Nick's own expertise and insight behind some of today's top news in sports. The where, why, and how. Now, here's your host, Nick Ferguson. Mr. Sandman, bring me a dream. It is Thursday. You're listening to Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective here on Voice of America Sports. You can follow me on Twitter at Nick Ferguson underscore 25. Like I said, always, each and every week, don't forget to look on that smartphone that you have. They call it a smartphone for a reason. Get that Voice America app so you can listen to the show anywhere, no matter where you are, even if you are on Turks and Caicos. So with that being and said, Mr. Sandman, what's happening in the NFL right now? So many fights and fisticuffs have broken out in camps, uh, more so than any other year that I can actually uh, re- remember. Uh, we're going to talk to very shortly uh, 14-year NFL vet Marco Coleman spent uh, time with the Washington Redskins, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Denver Broncos. He was drafted by the Miami Dolphins, and we're going to get his take on what's happening around the league uh, thus far. Uh, But once again, crazy week in sports, crazy week in entertainment. Uh, We're going to talk about and go back in history, if you will, and and talk about uh, a California hip-hop group. They called it the Gangsta Rap at that time. I'd rather refer to it as hip-hop. NWA has a new movie coming out straight out of Compton on Friday. We'll be talking about that later. Uh, With that... Uh, let's see if we got him on the line. Uh, Marco, are you there? All right, while we wait to get Marco uh, on, on the line, I mean, he's got some great uh, insight. He's going to talk to us about uh, San Diego Chargers recently. inducted Hall of Fame star, Junior Seau. Sydney Seau did a, a fantastic job. We'll hear some of her comics from the Hall of Fame induction speech on behalf of her father with that I'd like to bring in 14 year NFL vet and a guy that meant so much to me in my Georgia Tech days he has no idea but I'm seeing if we can reminisce on that for just a bit welcome Marco Coleman Marco thank you for joining us oh glad to be with you Nick hey, you know Marco before we get into uh, the NFL stuff I want to go back just a little I-, I remember when I first got to Georgia Tech I was sitting in the locker room, and I was a walk-on coming on from Morris Brown. And there was this guy who I met in the locker room who, who gave me a couple of encouraging words that, that pretty much changed my life. Do you remember that conversation? Man, I remember like it was yesterday, man. You know, I, I couldn't uh, be more proud of, of, of what, all the things that you were able to go on and to accomplish. Well, you know what, man, once again, I don't think I've ever said this to you, but I want the audience to know uh, there's so many people in my career has, that have been impactful on me, but you were that first guy sitting in that locker room and me as a walk-on coming to Georgia Tech not knowing what to expect. And here I, I meet you know, Marco Coleman, drafted in first round by the Miami Dolphins, and, and you took your time and took some time out of your busy schedule to sit down and talk to me and, and those are the words you know that kind of gave me that confidence that first confidence that I can actually play at Georgia Tech but I still have the potential to play in the NFL so I, I want to thank you uh, for granting me that appreciate it oh man I'm definitely humbled by that Nick I'm glad I could have contributed in any kind of way to uh, all the success that you uh, that you were able to gain as a collegiate athlete and professional well, appreciate it. And speaking speaking of that, I mean, I I know that you are definitely aware of what's taking place in the NFL. So many fights. Uh, your old team, uh, the Washington Redskins, got into fisticuffs with the Houston Texans. Cam Newton got into one of his his teammates, and then most recently, uh, Geno Smith got into one of his teammates. They say it's over uh, money. In, in your time and your fourteen year career, you you've seen a lot. You know, if there was an altercation or something about to take place, how is it usually handled by the leaders in the locker room? 
you know, especially in the case of the uh, the guys in the locker room uh, with Geno and the, and the linebacker, I can't see that's his name, in that situation, that would have been diffused. You know, guys, we, we just don't allow your teammates to fight each other, not in the locker room. Now, out on the field, during practice, that's a whole different deal. And, uh, and, and we really try to prevent from those things uh, from spilling over into the locker room. And, um, you know, definitely I'm surprised that nobody stopped, you know, jumped in to prevent that from escalating to the point in which it, it did. Well, you know what, that, that's the interesting part because some people are now saying, hey, listen, Gino was that guy and he, he actually deserved it. I mean, do you truly believe no matter, you know, what kind of guy he is in the locker room that a guy truly deserves to be punched in the face where his jaw is separated in two places? Well, you know, if he, he's that kind of guy to where he was, um, you know, the rest of his teammates felt that he deserved to get punched in the mouth, then he was probably not the guy that they wanted to lead that team as a quarterback. Um, you know, like I said, that is very surprising uh, to know that no one stepped in to just to prevent that type of um, altercation to, uh, to take place. And for it to happen and for guys to feel that way, and that definitely uh, speaks uh, to a very negative tone uh, to the potential type of person that Gino may be. I don't know him personally, but if, if that is the case, uh, that's not good. Now, now you were fortunate to play with uh, Dan Marino. If something like that happened in the locker room where, let's just say it wasn't a marquee guy, let's say it was a mid-level guy approached Dan Marino that way, you know, what would you have done personally in that locker room? I mean, see, Dan was a favorite of everybody in the locker room. You know, like I said, contrary to, I guess, the, um, uh, you know, the, the, what has been said about Gino, uh, Dan was, you know, it, it was like by everyone in the locker room. He, there was no enemies. And then, two, the professionalism is something that probably just wouldn't have happened. But if it was to, um, because of the, the atmosphere in which the locker room that I came, I was fortunate to be in as a, uh, entering the, the, the NFL, that wouldn't happen. And I was just too many guys that have been there for a while. I think that's part of the issue that you find in the NFL right now is you don't have a lot of veterans in locker rooms. Um, you know, you don't, you know, when I entered the league, uh, there were so many guys that were in their eighth, ninth, tenth year. People think just because you're in your fourth, fifth year, you're a veteran. That's not a, you're just understanding what's going on in the league at that point. When you talk about a veteran, you're talking about a seven to ten year guy now that has truly established himself within the NFL. And it's not a lot of those guys in these locker rooms as you see a lot of teams going to these younger rosters. Marco Coleman, 14 year NFL vet on Voice America Sports Meet with me, your host, Nick Ferguson on the secondary perspective. You know, Marco, you know, I start off by talking about the, the multiple fights that have taken place. And usually in training camp, you want it, you know, competitive, but not, not combative. I mean, what do you think the league, if at all, should try to do is kind of keep down the fisticuffs in the NFL, a bad image that has already tainted the league at this point? Well, I, I think that the league really is, is in my opinion, has been too involved. Uh, I think there's, you know, I think the uh, some of the access that has been granted to the public has interfered with the sanctity, sanctity of the game. Um, there's so many things that go on um, that are, you know, that, that really are just unwritten rules or, or um, just the way that things, you know, have gone. That probably should stay. That probably wouldn't, if not been exposed interrupted or tainted the perception of others. Because if you play the sport and you've been playing it for a long way, you know that there's just certain things that go on, and that's pretty much in any industry. You just have unwritten rules in, in pretty much any profession that people follow. And, um, and by allowing cameras and all the, you know, maybe it's a little bit too much transparency in what's going on that's creating problems and now creating rules that's disrupting not only the, uh, the idea of the public, but even for players, especially former players. It's, it's really, 
it's almost like watered down <laughs> even. So I don't think that there's any, anything more should be done as it pertains to that. Because uh, you got grown men. You know, it's, you know, contrary to what people may believe, it is a barbaric sport. And it takes a certain type of person uh, to play the sport. And so you got to expect certain type of things will occur. And also players are also a microcosm of the society. And so the same things that you see that going on in society, they're going to take place in the locker room. Well, you know, Marco, I mean, college football season uh, is definitely around the corner. And, you know, uh, the one reason I definitely wanted to bring you on, because I've had this conversation with Mike Pritchard to play for the Colorado Buffaloes and Chad uh, Johnson uh, as well, uh, Chad Brown, excuse me. And they were very adamant about what took place in 1990. Now, if you guys don't know, make sure you go back and actually – Actually, Google 1990 Colorado Buffalo, their season in 1990 Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets uh, season. And I want to be a little, uh, you know, unbiased here when I look at both schedules because I have both there on the screen. And Colorado struggled early on in that season, but they played in uh, the national championship game. and They beat uh, Notre Dame at that time on a very controversial call after Rocket Ismail returned a punt. They said there was clipping, which called back a punt return, which, you know, negated the fact that the, the Irish would have won that game. So, so in today's college football era, you know, we have the playoff system. Go back for me and tell me if it was implemented at that time and you two teams faced off, who would have emerged victorious, the Colorado Buffaloes or the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets of 1990? Oh, undoubtedly the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. You know, Colorado, not only did they have a loss, you know, they also had a game where they were given a fourth down, a fifth down. Um, you know, you look at the schedules. We even beat a team. I'm not sure. Did they lose to Nebraska? During, I think that loss actually came from Nebraska during that season. Well, well, they they, they beat Nebraska 24, uh, 27-12. Uh, and I think at that point they were number nine and Nebraska uh, was number three. So they, they lost to Illinois, who was 22, and they tied with Tennessee at the beginning of the season. And then, of course, that mystery game against the Mizzou Tigers where Charles Johnson uh, tried to kill the clock and threw the ball on the ground, which should have been – uh, loss of down uh, at that particular point, but it wasn't. The chain game messed up, but you talk to the Colorado Buffs, Marco, they say they would have won that game because they had more NFL prospects on their team than the Georgia Tech Yellow Jackets. Well, we weren't nobody. We weren't playing an NFL game. That's a, that's a regardless. We were playing a college football game. You know, if we want to go into that, you know, there's a lot of teams that have gone on and you look at their rosters and they didn't perform to the level, you know, that you would suspect because of the amount of guys that they had on a roster that went on to the NFL. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the 1990 college football season. And at that time, Georgia Tech was by far the better football team, the best team in the nation. Well, you know what? Yeah, you know, very much so because if you go back and you, you kind of compare and say, well, who was the better team in 1990? We can start to compare the schedule and say Georgia Tech was not highly ranked at the beginning of the season. Uh, the biggest win, I think, in Tech's history it may, may still be at this point. Uh, the game against uh, UVA where Scott Sisson kicked the winning field goal. And, you know, I wasn't a part of the team, but I remember just like yesterday watching – uh, uh, the game is, is very exciting. Take us back to what you guys were thinking about on the sideline before Scott made that kick. Oh, man, you know, it was um, a lot of exuberance. It was a hard-fought game. You know, you're playing a conference game and it comes down to that. But, you know, we, we felt a lot of confidence also in our kicker. Uh, Scott had, had earned the right for us to feel that it was no doubt that we were going to win it. When, it. when we got to that point, there was a lot of confidence, you know, and anxiousness. But, uh, you know, a lot, everyone was pretty confident that, that we were going to get that thing done considering the type of kicker that we had. And by the way, that went to the NFL. Well, you, 
Oh, well, I, I'm, I'm on Twitter right now, and I, I get a tweet from uh, from uh, someone, uh, uh, Dev out of Atlanta, and he wanted me to ask you, uh, uh, do you think that you guys would have won the game outright against uh, Colorado? Oh, for sure. Actually, no doubt. I had, um, when I got to the San Diego Chargers, Eric Benny me was on the team. And uh, we had that conversation all the time. And I, and I, no doubt, I believe that we would have beat the Colorado Buffaloes. I, you know, there's not a doubt in my mind. We were a better football team. You know, I want to ask you this question we had, because... We had, better, we had better coaches. All of our whole coaching staff went to the NFL, too. You talk about the players. We can also argue about the level of coaching that was received at Georgia Tech versus the coaching staff at Colorado also now. Well, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, whether you're a Colorado Bus fan or a Georgia Tech fan, uh, that 1990 season did a lot for both uh, institutions. Colorado is still trying to uh, become relevant and get back to where they were in 1990. Uh, Paul Johnson is trying to do the same with Georgia Tech, but we've heard more about Paul Johnson and Georgia Tech than we've heard about uh, the Colorado Buffaloes, who has, as their head coach, a Georgia Tech man uh, themselves. Uh, Margaret, really quickly, you know, today we live in uh, the world where we have very athletic quarterbacks, and sometimes guys are come before their time. And let's talk a little about Sean Jones really quick. If Sean Jones played in today's college football scene, do you think he would have had a real shot at being an NFL quarterback? I think he would. Himself and uh, Charlie Ward around that time, too. I mean, he, he had some quarterbacks that were some outstanding football players. Um, Sean made good decisions, uh, very athletic. Uh, he came from a pro-style type of offense. You know, you figure, like I said, the coaching staff, with Bobby Ross, uh, Ralph Regan, um, uh, the respect that they had within the NFL uh, would allow him, I believe, an opportunity uh, to play in the NFL. But I, like you said, it was just a time that in the era where it just wasn't um, frequent. No one was willing to take the chances at that point in time. And, and, and most recently, Marco, uh, and, and speak as candidly as you, as you would like, uh, Junior Seau, who I only had an opportunity to watch him in my first couple of years with the Buffalo Bills, run sideline and the sideline. I mean, he was a terror at that linebacker position. And you've had an opportunity to play with him in San Diego. And his, his daughter, Sydney, say, yeah, I'll deliver a, a great speech on her father's behalf. I know he's definitely proud of her. Uh, tell us a couple of stories or something interesting that we don't know about the man, Junior Seau. Man, he was, a, um, he was the ultimate teammate. Uh, I don't think I've uh, I played with anyone that cared so much about the team. Uh, you, you talk so much about him individually and the things that he does, that, that he was able to accomplish, but he sacrificed a lot for his teammates and was always willing uh, to help. Uh, great guy, man. I mean, as furious as he played on the field, he was that even that much of a nice, that nice of a guy. Um, his effort, intensity as a, as a player, again, you know, is, is paramount. You know, second to none. I, you know, in 14 seasons, I did not play with anyone else that had the same type of um, intensity and effort consistently, not only in games, but also in practice. I actually learned how to practice after playing with, you know, having Junior Say as a teammate. Um, he really set the standard, set the bar, not only for, you know, for everyone, that was on that team at that time. Well, he, he was a great man. And like I said, I only encountered him in my early years in the NFL and just got a chance to sit back and, and watch. And I try to tell people now, you know, our, our sports stars, you know, enjoy them now because there's going to come a time where they're going to be long gone. But once again, I mean, I definitely appreciate you uh, coming on the show. I, I'm, I'm going to try to get back on the show to see if he can say anything to dispute he said, because both you and Ken Swilling, obviously, for the obvious reasons, uh, Georgia Tech would have beaten 
all the Buffaloes, but I'm going to grab some more Buffaloes to see what they uh, think about this and uh, get their secondary perspective. So once again, Marco, thank you for coming on uh, the program and giving us those uh, candid words about Junior Sal. I appreciate you. Uh, and like I said, thank you for giving me those words when I was a youngster uh, transferring from Morris Brown. That, that did a lot for me. So I definitely appreciate that once again. Oh, you my man, Nick, and congratulations, man. I wish all the best to you and uh, and all that you're doing now. I look forward to seeing you at Georgia Tech during the season. Well, we, uh, we'll see. We'll be in that uh, box uh, again. So uh, hopefully uh, I'll talk to you uh, once I get off air to see if we can kind of put that together, see what game that uh, we're going to go down there and watch. Once again, that's Marco Cole, from Ohio. Thank you for joining the program. Appreciate it. Welcome. Thanks. All right. On the opposite side of the break, quick break that is, we're here from Sydney Sayal. A couple of words about her father. You listen to Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Sports continues to grow and evolve to ever-increasing prominence in today's society. On All Around Sports, host John Inglesby will connect with the leading newsmakers from the sports world, including players, owners, and fellow sports journalists, discussing the top news and events that are relevant to sports today. John will also report from and offer his experience of the world's top sports events. Tune in to All Around Sports with John Inglesby, Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with a top... Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. Listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to nickfergshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. Ooh, 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 that's right. Red man did not so steady. That's when they said that. Um, great voice hearing from a guy like Marco Coleman coming onto the program. 14 years in NFL, that is a long time on any job, and he did. Uh, Miami Dolphins, Denver Broncos, Washington Redskins, San Diego Chargers, Eagles, and Jaguars. I'm sure he amassed a lot of frequent fire balls. But it was great to hear him talk about Junior Seau. Uh, and at first, we didn't know if Sidney Seau was going to even be allowed to speak at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, but I'm glad that uh, the powers that be allowed her to talk and introduce her dad and, and say some uh, great things. Uh, uh, about her uh, father. Uh, I want to go to uh, something that she said. Uh, let, let's see if we get that. I'm going to check the audio and see if we got that. I think that he is the epitome or a perfect match to football because they are both stubborn, they're both relentless, competitive, 
hard-hitting. There have been players that have changed the games in small ways, but instead of just making a difference, I feel like he was the difference on the field. He was the one making those plays that no one saw coming. He was the one that pushed his teammates farther than they've ever been pushed before because that it was the person that he was. What you're doing behind the scenes is just as important as what you do in the limelight. That Sydney Seau talking about her father. You heard Marco on the 14-year vet talk about Gene Seau as well and said that Seau really taught him uh, how to uh, practice. You know what? I, I love the fact that, uh, once again, that Sydney Seau was able to uh, talk about her father, Gene uh, Seau, uh, the remarkable father that he was and what he meant to their family, but just kind of what he did as a player, extraordinary player, and what he did for the game. You're talking about 20 years in the NFL. 20 years. I know Marco played 14, which is phenomenal. Uh, I had an opportunity, and I was blessed to play 10 years, but 20 years in the NFL. A lot of physical contact. Uh, great player. Meant a lot uh, to the game. Did a lot as far as community service, especially in that San Diego area. Pretty much everywhere where he, where he was blessed to uh, play, but uh, definitely... Great to see that. Now, whether it's players or whether it's average everyday people, and let me, let, me, let me say that again, whether it's players or whether it's average everyday people, we all have our issues. But just so happens, uh, athletes, entertainers are in the spotlight. So there's a lot of media attention that swirls around them. And most recently, and we all heard about it, uh, Alden Smith, very talented uh, pass rusher and Mizzou Tiger alumnus, uh, had his battles with uh, alcohol. And this is what his now head coach, Jim Tom Sulo, had to say about Alden Smith. Say is, if one person out there reads this and you're struggling, get help. Go get it. You're worth it. You're worth it. The value in every human being. Get the help. You don't have to walk alone. Find it. It's there. And although Alden will not be playing football here, we will be supporting him. He will not be alone. You know, I, I think that was great by Jim Tom Sulo and the San Francisco 49ers uh, to definitely stay involved in Alden Smith's life, even though technically he's no longer going to be part of the team. But, you know, th- that's kind of the commitment that you want, to know that your team, your teammates are still behind you because we have to understand uh, it is easy to stand on the sideline and criticize an individual for some of the trials and tribulations that they are enduring at that particular time. But let's just understand that alcoholism, it is a problem. It is an issue. And if you are in any workplace around America, you're in any locker room or gym, you know your buddy is struggling and they have issues, help them out. Ignoring the problem does not help him, does not help you. If you consider yourself to be a friend, be a friend. I know they have interventions. And if you have to face your intervention, do whatever you need to do to, to save that particular individual. I, I am very optimistic for Alden Smith uh, that he would, one, get his life back on track, uh, whether he would play in the NFL again, that is yet to be seen. Uh, someone might be willing to take a chance on Alden Smith because uh, he's a very talented uh, individual. But first things first, he needs to get his house in order. And that starts by getting the necessary help that he needs because this, this is definitely an issue, definitely uh, a problem. And I wish him all the luck as he tries to recover from uh, this situation. Now, I want to read something to you. Uh, earlier this week, Evan Smith, the center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, and and, and Evan has had an opportunity to play with some uh, with a great quarterback 
and that quarterback was Aaron Rodgers. But but listen to what he had to say about Jameis Winston. He said, I've only been around two other quarterbacks. I played with one who was really good. He reminds me of a very young version of him. When I first got to Green Bay, you can see the talent was there. You can see Aaron Rodgers was starting to take off as a superstar. You can tell Jameis Winston has that same potential. That's courtesy of an interview that Evan Smith, the center for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, did with uh, Yahoo Sports. And we all know that Jameis Winston is a very talented player out of Florida State. I just think it's a little too premature to kind of put him in that light of Aaron Rodgers. We haven't even gotten to the first preseason game. A lot of those games are slated for either uh, tonight, tomorrow, and Sunday. But I want to see first. Let's just see before we start putting you know, him in that category. And sometimes that happens a lot. In the draft, when the quarterback is coming out, is you're comparing him to someone else. Who does he remind us of? And is that a fair comparison to kind of put that pressure on an individual who had so much pressure from the very beginning to compare them to a Jim Kelly, to a John Elway, a Dan Marino, Aaron Rodgers, or Peyton Manning? I don't think so. Let, let's just let the guy get out there, get his feet wet, get a feel for the game, and then at that point, maybe we can say he reminds us of this player because he does this. But Davis Wilson, I, I, I don't have a doubt that he's going to be a decent quarterback, an Aaron Rodgers type quarterback. I don't know. Aaron Rodgers came into the Green Bay Packers, a very talented quarterback, but he spent maybe three years sitting behind recently inducted to the Ring of Fame and Hall of Fame in Green Bay, and that's Brett Favre, who should don one of those uh, gold jackets and 2016, he had some time to sit back and learn from a guy, learn what not to do, and learn how to be a professional. James Winston being the first-round draft choice of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, talk about going from the fire right into the fire pan uh, for Lovey Smith, a team that did not do well last year. They cannot afford to have another down season. So I'm going to wait before I kind of give that verdict out And as far as the comparison. Very talented but not Aaron Rodgers S just yet. And speaking of Brett Favre, 2016, a new draft class would emerge. And will Brett Favre get in? Absolutely he should. But then there's some other question marks, Orlando Pace, Marvin Harrison, and also Terrell Owens. Should he get in? Has he done enough to get into the hall? I say just look at his stats. Stats speak for themselves. You know, ask Chad Johnson if he thinks Terrell Owens should get in. Because I remember Terrell went to Cincinnati. He became Carson Palmer's best target. Over Chad Johnson, who's been there for a while. That tells you a lot. And, yeah, I think he's gonna, he, he should get in. Will he get in? Probably not. I think he's probably going to have to wait until maybe – 2017. And the reason I said this is because whether it's baseball or, or, or this or Hall of Fame, there are individuals who sit around and they decide who goes in. And, and because Terrell wasn't the best guy when it came to the media, I mean, he'd give you a great soundbite. But, you know, we all know about the Terrell Owens isms, if you will. And I think that might be something that might hurt his chances of getting in in that 2016 uh, class. But does he have the stats? Yes, he does. And once again, I think he should get in. I think he should get in, but it's going to be some individuals that keep him out. And it's just kind of, that's one of those things that had me wondering, what's the criteria for the Hall of Fame? Is it stats? Is it how well you gel with the media? Is it off-the-field activities? Who knows? Charles Haley... Four Super Bowl rings. And he just got in. I mean, he just got in. I mean, that, that's wild. Of all the accolades he accomplished, he's just now getting in. So I asked that question. And please feel free to tweet me at Nick Ferguson underscore 25. What do you think the criteria should be for individuals to be considered Hall of Fame worthy? 
Is it on the field production? What you did off the field that might be negative? Should we take that into account? Because if my memory serves me correct, there are a couple of individuals who had some very questionable off-the-field activities, but they are in the NFL Hall of Fame. They are in Canton, Ohio. So all I say, let's just be real. Let's be real about it. People in glass houses, my mom used to say, shouldn't cast stones. So let's not be that judgmental. What are we judging on? The merit of production or the merit of off-the-field issues? I don't know. But it's going to be really exciting. Another guy I hope that gets in that I, I play with, uh, John Lynch, definitely deserves to be in the hall next to Warren Sapp, next to Derek Brooks. He deserves to, to be there, and I hope that uh, he gets that opportunity. One heck of a player. A heck of a player. Coming up after the break, we'll talk a little bit about NWA. And, call. I know you, I see you on the line. Hold on to after we get back from this quick break. You're listening to Nick Ferguson, Secondary Perspective here on Voice America Sports. Don't go anywhere. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just just think that the coach made a mistake. Crazy. (laughs) NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. If you think you've seen online TV before, let us surprise you. VoiceAmerica.tv is online now. The leader in live Internet talk radio has done it again. Multiple channels, a state-of-the-art viewing experience, live and on-demand programs streaming 24 hours a day. It's exactly what you want, when you want it. VoiceAmerica.tv. From health and wellness to business, sports, and everything in between. Discover our new world. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv now and experience the future of online television. VoiceAmerica.tv. Looking for the best show about horse racing and handicapping? Want to play the ponies? <laughs> Join us every week for Winning Ponies with John Engelhart, racing's regular guy, where you'll go inside and behind the scenes with the top jockeys, trainers, agents, and handicappers in the world of horse racing. This show is the perfect complement to the Winning Ponies handicapping website. Listen for top plays for the weekend and the spot play of the week and win prizes just for calling in. Winning Ponies with John Engelhart is live Thursdays at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network. Your internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. Listening to Secondary Perspective with Nick Ferguson. To get in the lineup for today's show, please call 1 888 346 9144. That's 1 888 346 9144. Or send an email to nickferkshow at gmail.com. Now, back to the show. You are now about to witness the strength of street knowledge. Welcome back to Second New Perspective. That is straight out of content, which comes out tomorrow. Uh, it's getting great reviews. I can't wait to go check it out uh, myself. But before we get into that, uh, I believe still we have a caller holding on the line. Uh, Prayer, how's it going? What do you have to say? Hey, man, how are you today? I'm doing well. Uh, what do you got going on? Hey, man, I can't call it, man. Thanks for having me, first of all. I'm listening to the show, and um, we're talking about, you know, criteria and all those things for the Hall of Fame. And what you were saying, if if we're going off stats, we're talking about, what, the number two receiver in NFL history as far as yardage 
only behind Jerry Rice. So if we're just talking about stats, of course he belongs on the first ballot. Well, I mean, like I said, I mean, Terrell Owens definitely has the stats. I'm not going to knock that. Uh, does he have a flair for the dramatics? Yeah, but everyone knows the wide receiver position is pretty much a prima donna position. But I think what's going to hurt him is the media. Both he and Chad Johnson were able to use and manipulate the media to help propel their career, uh, and, and especially putting them out in the spotlight. But later on in their careers, the same thing that they used to propel themselves came to bite them in the rear end. And I think it's going to bite them again until 2017 because media is going to remember that. You know, it's like me. Some people in the media are like elephants. Like yeah, but, but it, to me, it doesn't make sense because if we're talking about their careers and on based off what they've done on the field, and we're going by you know what they're done, what what's what's been done off the field, you have to put this guy in. Only thing he doesn't have is a Super Bowl ring. He's played in one. They didn't win, but he did, you know, carry his, his part. Unfortunately, because when you're talking about Super Bowl, now you have to start talking about individual things. Yeah, so but that, that, once, again, that, that, once again, that is the thing. What's the measuring stick? Is it, do you have to have gone to the Super Bowl? And if you had gone to the Super Bowl, do you have to have won that Super Bowl? And are, do you have to have the most receptions, the most touchdowns? the most explosive plays, and then you got to think about it. Terrell Owens will be matched up against other wide receivers. I mean, you have a very talented Marvin Harrison who seems to, you know, he's been waiting for a while. I mean, he's yeah, a but, key but part about of the Colts offense, though. But Marvin Harrison, if you're talking about off-the-field issues, I mean, I hate to say it, but the way his, the end of his career ended with his off-the-field issues, would that be considered as well? Or would you just look at, okay, he's never had a problem with the media, so the media take that favoritism and be like, okay, we never had an issue with Marvin Harrison, so we're going to look past whatever other issues he may have had. Not, you know, you know. Hopefully that situation is done and over with, and I think he deserved to be in the ballot on the first, you know, first time ballot as well. But I guess if you're going to put someone in over To, you know, I guess he does. He do have a Super Bowl ring, but if you're going off stats, what he's He's in top what top top ten, so I can give him that. But you have to give T.O. some credit, and it's kind of looked past his his media attention and all those things that he did off the field, and just look at his production on the field. And if you just look at and base it off that, the guy you have to give him. Maybe not this year, but maybe you know. I mean, next year, but maybe the year after that. But he has to make it to the Hall of Fame. Well, 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 no, no doubt. And uh, thanks for calling. I think definitely. Uh, Terrell Owens makes it into the NFL Pro Football Hall of Fame. I mean, there's a spot in Canton uh, waiting for him. I mean, there's, there's arguably no way you can keep him out. I mean, he might not get in in 2016 class, but he's going to get in because the stats are there. But this is the ultimate time for those in the media who, you know, did not like T.O., he was not great with, he didn't give a great interview to, this is the opportunity for those individuals to come back and say, hey, T.O., okay, here is our revenge. Now, you yeah, sit down yeah. and you wait another year. But once again, I, I hope he gets there, but you still have Tony Dungy, Orlando Pace, you know, Kevin Green. So the 2016 class should be a great class. And like I said, I, I hope, you know, John Lynch is on that list as well because he definitely uh, deserves to be, well, While I have you on the line, and I love to have callers, you know, uh, NWA straight out of Compton comes out Friday, and and I want to do a survey here. Now, really quickly, give me about ten seconds. It's the late nineties. NWA is out. What's the frame of mind where you grew up? What are you doing at that time? Well, actually, late nineties. Believe it or not, what it was actually it was probably what mid nineties. I think I was still in college. <laughs> I can remember being on the yard and, you know, some of my California friends, you know, Mike and Jeff and those guys, you know, coming with a, you know, the, the Dr. Dre and all this stuff, you know, and, uh, Hey man, I can just tell you this. I can remember just being in like, wow, wow. This is a classic. 
<laughs> so, uh, so, so I'm looking forward to the movie. I've heard Dr. Dre sound uh, soundtrack comes into it, and I'm I'm just excited, man. It's kind of like you know, uh, going back in the past and like you said, bringing up things of what we was doing at certain periods when this song may have came on or came out, or what we were doing when we were listening to this song. So I'm pretty excited about it. How about you? I'm I'm really I'm really excited about uh, the movie itself. It definitely had an uh, uh, impact on me, kind of opened my eyes to things that were taking place outside of uh, Miami. But uh, it, it was great. It's going to be great, and I'm going to be there uh, to watch it uh, this Friday. Prater, thank you for calling the program. Appreciate it. Uh, appreciate it, man. Have a great day. All right. Now, you know, I want to really, really quickly get into some audio from uh, Ice Cube and hear what he had to say in reference to uh, some altercations and, I guess, differences in business with uh, then-member, um, well, I guess, also Jerry Heller, to, to be exact. Uh, but here's some, here's some audio uh, from that as well. And he's going to talk about Easy e yeah. A little mad at E because I felt E wasn't taking the right side. You know, I felt E, he was kind of under his doing enough to 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 keep me in the group. You know, it was right. kind of like, yo, this is how it is. Yo, you can live with it, or you can get out the group like Arabian Prince. You know, who was the sixth I, member on the damn album cover. This- yeah, you know what? And, and it's kind of funny. And, and Jerry Heller said that he's going to be front and center at the premiere, sitting in the front row. Uh, taking a look at the movie with his lawyers, of course, because he wants to make sure that he's portrayed in the right way, and he feels as though he was not. Well, no one went to Jerry Hell. He felt that no one, you know, consulted him and and came to interview him and ask him his thoughts, and didn't really have anything to do with the movie. And he felt as though he was an intricate part of NWA as much as the members themselves. And go back to the album cover. And, and look at the album cover. There's six individuals in there, you know, um, and Arabian Prince is one of those individuals. But we just kind of lost track of it. And he left the group before the group did it big. I mean, when you think about things that happen like that, you got to say to yourself, I was on the cusp of being part of this whole grassroots movement, and when... Gangsta Rap came out, and that's what it was called at the time, uh, and with NWA, it really changed so much. It impacted the lives of so many people, and so many urban hip-hop artists, whether East Coast or West Coast, say that they were influenced in some way, form or fashion, by NWA. Even Kendrick Lamar, a Snoop Dogg out of the West Coast, uh, and Tupac Shakur, all influenced by NWA, and, and who would have thought? Just think about this. Who would have thought? that Dr. Dre started NWA, being a member of NWA, then coming out, joining Interscope Records, and Beats Headphones. I mean, they are everywhere. Who would have, who would have thought that would have been possible? You know, his connection to Jerry Iveen and everything that he's doing from a production standpoint and the music industry, and more importantly, Ice Cube. Are we there yet? I mean... He's in, you know, movies that my kids even watch. And if you say, well, yeah, uh, yeah this guy once a long time ago tell my son, hey, he was in a, uh, a hip-hop group called NWA. It was really controversial and uh, caused a lot of ruckus, but brought a lot of uh, awareness from a political and social standpoint of what the urban life was actually like opposed to what people might think it uh, was, but definitely did a lot. And I'm going to go see the movie because I want to see the early beginnings. I want to see how each character is portrayed and see if it stays true to life. And the one thing I love about the movies, at the, at the end of the movie, they always have that screen where they give you the words of what happened to the, the members. We already know what happened to Dre. We know what happened to Ice Cube. But what about, well, we know what happened to Easy as well. But what happened to, you know, MC Rand? What happened to, yeah, DJ Yella? That, that's what I want to see, and it would be great uh, to have these guys get back on the road and, and do a uh, concert together with uh, some of the old stuff with a mixture of their new stuff. Before we get out of here, the NBA, once again, they found a way, just like the NFL, to kind of draw us in. The marketing is ridiculous. 
and the schedule came out for this season. And there's some games that I circle because in the NFL season, when you first get your schedule, you circle certain games. Oh, we're going to win this game. We're going to win this game. Oh, Green Bay, December. Oh, that's going to be a cold game. But looking at the NBA schedule, there's something that I, that I made sure to uh, know. November 11th, DeAndre Jordan. Everyone knows DeAndre Jordan. Am I going to the Mavs? I'm not. Change of heart. And I call him Mark Cuban. But he returns on November 11th. The Clippers at the Mavs. Uh, that same day, LaMarcus Aldridge and returns to Portland as the Spurs take on the Trailblazers. Other noteworthy information from the NBA, the, the league is going to feature several teams, the Warriors, the Cavs, Clippers, Thunders, Bulls, and the Spurs. That's right, I didn't mention any uh, Miami Heat games, so sorry about that, Heat fans. But the Warriors have 10 games on ESPN, 10 on TNT, 5 on ABC. Now the Cavs, which they're going to play, as well, of course, we were going to see that Cavs versus the Warriors again. But the Cavs have 10 on ESPN, 9 on TNT, and 6 on ABC with other games, other teams rather. The Thunder, the Bulls, and the Spurs all are going to see at least double-digit games on ESPN, TNT, and ABC. And the league decided to do something a little different. Back-to-back uh, -back cross-country time zone games have been reduced from what they were last year, 194 to 160. So hopefully that means well-rested NBA players, better competitive production on the hardwood for the fans to enjoy. But once again, I am definitely looking forward to any game. November 11th at DeAndre Jordan travels to the Mavs. Should be another exciting season. Don't forget a slew of NFL preseason games are set to kick off this weekend. Hopefully your team will actually show some new talent, some ripe blood, some new blood, that is. Uh, as always, as we say on Setting Their Perspective, go out there, do something nice for someone, think about someone else for a reason, you know, not yourself. Nick Ferguson, Setting Their Perspective, signing off until next Thursday. Have a great one. Drive safely. Thanks again for stopping by. Be sure to catch Nick Ferguson's Secondary Perspective again next Thursday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. in the West on the Voice America Sports Channel. We'll share some more great stories next week. 